Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the aging of Moses as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. As we have told you, the word Deuteronomy means the second law. It is really a rehearsal, sort of a capsulization by Moses of the law that was given. Deuteronomy itself, though it covers the 40 years from Egypt to the entering into the promised land, covered only about 40 days as far as the time of it being given to the children of Israel. Moses was now an aged man. However, he was still very spry. He still had excellent eyesight, excellent hearing. None of his forces had abated. Sometimes when I have to put on my glasses, I say, God, you did it for Moses. Why don't you do it for me? And here he still had good, sharp vision. 120 years old, none of the natural forces abated, still a spry fellow, able to get over the rocks as quick as any of them. But God had said that he wasn't going to be able to enter into the promised land. Knowing that they are now ready to enter in, knowing that they have come now to the border of the land, In front of them is the Jordan River. On the other side, the city of Jericho, the first of the conquest. Knowing that he cannot cross over Jordan by God's divine order, and knowing that the time had come to cross over Jordan, he realizes that the time of his departure is at hand. And so he is giving in these last 40 days of his life a charge to these people in which he is rehearsing the covenant that God had established with them again, the covenant relationship that they were to have with God, the covenant by which they were to possess this land and to dwell in this land. And so these are important things that Moses is covering in the book of Deuteronomy as he again goes over and rehearses for the people, bringing them into remembrance the laws, the commandments, the statutes, the judgments of God, for he will soon be departing. They'll no longer be able to come for him for counsel and advice and for the leading of God or for the word of God or the counsel of God He will soon be departing, and thus he is giving to them this final charge, the book of Deuteronomy. And so in chapter 9, he continues, Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day to go in to possess the nations that are greater and mightier than thyself, cities that are great and fenced up to heaven. Now, they had come to the point of entering into the land once before in their history, some 40 40 years earlier. But at that point, because fear 
overtook them when they heard that the cities had great walls, were heavily fortified, when they heard that giants inhabited the cities, they became so frightened, they felt that they could not go in because the inhabitants of the land were actually stronger than they were, and they tried to get a leader to take them back to Egypt. And God's wrath came. And because of their failure 40 years earlier, God had condemned them to this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Even as the spies had been in the land for 40 days, spying out the land, so God said, you'll have a year for every day the spies were in the land of just roaming in the wilderness until this whole generation be passed away. Their cry was, God has brought us here to destroy us. If we go in and try and take the land, they're going to kill our wives and all of our little children, and, and we're going to be buried here in this area. And so God said, you've worried about your little children, but they're the ones that are going to go in and possess the land. You won't be able to go in. Now, Moses is trying to ensure against this fear gripping their hearts again. If they do not enter in at this point, it will be disaster for them. And so Moses is seeking now to brace them, to encourage them, to declare the problems that exist, to look realistic in a realistic way at the things that they were facing, and yet to encourage their hearts that the God that they served was greater than any obstacle they faced. Now, I think that it is important for us as Christians to look realistically at the problems of life. I think that it is foolish for us to try to make light of serious things. I think that we need to look realistically, and yet, at the same token, we need to look beyond the problem and realize that the God that we serve is capable of handling any problem that we might face. To look beyond the problems to the power of God and the sustaining hand of God upon our lives. And so this is what Moses, he's seeking to be realistic. He said, all right, now look. You're going to cross over this Jordan, and you're going to go in, and you're going to possess lands and possess the cities and people that are stronger than you, nations that are greater and mightier than you are, but you're going to conquer them. A people who are great and tall. You're going to be facing a bunch of these giants. The children of the Anakims, and the Anakims were like the uh, Watusi tribe in, in Africa, the giants. And they felt like a bunch of pygmies in front of these people that inhabited the land. And these people are great. They are tall. You know them. You've heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak? You've heard that remark. You say, oh, they're so big. They're giants. Who can stand before them? 
And understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before you. You see, you're going to have, the nations are great, granted. The people are tall. They are giants, granted. But the Lord, your God, is going to go before you. I think that many times we get spooked when we're just looking at our problems. And we, in just looking at the problems that we face, get a, a loss of perspective where we fail to see the greatness and the power of God. You know, it's amazing how big our problems can look to us when we're right next to them. In fact, we can lose perspective and can't see anything else but our problem when you get so close to it. At that point, we're prone to forget God. We're prone to lose sight of God. We must never lose sight of God. The sun is 865,000 miles in diameter, 1,200,000 times larger than our earth. As big as it is, you can block out the sight of the sun with something as small as a glasses case. Though it is that big, something this small can block your sight of the sun if it's close enough to you. You get so close to your problems, all you can see is your problem. <laughs> now God is as great as the universe. He fills the whole universe, but I can't see him. <laughs> My problems have blinded me. Now Moses speaks of the problems, but then he reminds them that they don't need to really be concerned about the problem because the Lord thy God is going to go before you. We are faced with a strong and powerful enemy who is stronger than we are. We are no match for Satan's power. And you can get so involved with the power of Satan, so overawed by the power of Satan that you lose sight of the power of God. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're no match for Satan, but Satan is no match for God. And it is the Lord thy God who goes before thee to fight your battles, to dispossess the land of your enemies. And we need to remember the Lord and his power. For he is going before you as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them and shall bring them down before thy face so that thou shalt drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said unto thee. Now, he said, when you get in the land and God has driven out the enemy and you've gone in and possessed him and wiped them out, then beware of self-righteousness. Lest you kick back and say, well, it's because we were so righteous that God has done this for us. Oh, what a terrible thing self-righteousness is and how easily it attaches itself to us. 
There is something perverse about our nature that we desire to have people think that we are more righteous than we really are. That's a perversity of our nature. We like people to think that we are spiritual giants, that we really walk close to God. And there is oftentimes a perverse tendency on our part to put off some kind of a righteous aura. We try to look very righteous and holy and pious. We like people to think, oh, we are extremely holy people. Like, because I am so holy, God is able to use me. But I can understand why he doesn't use you. <laughs> you know, this spiritual put-down kind of a thing. When Peter was at the temple going in with James at the hour of prayer and the man said alms alms and Peter said hey look at me pal and the guy turned expecting to receive something and Peter said I don't have any silver and gold and I said, smart mouth and why'd you ask me to look at you <laughs> what I have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise to your feet and walk Peter took this fellow by the right hand, lifted him to the feet, and immediately he received strength in his feet and his ankles. He began to walk and leap, running through the temple, walking, leaping, praising God. After one passed through the temple, walking, leaping, praising God, as he was going by, people said, isn't that the lame man that's been lying out there every day for years? Man, it sure looks like him. What in the world's happened to him? No, 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 let's go see. And a crowd followed this guy, some 5,000. <laughs> so that by the time he came back out of the porch where Peter was still standing, he no doubt grabbed hold of Peter, hugged him, kissed him, jumped up and down so that the people related the miracle to Peter some way. And Peter said, ye men of Israel, why look ye on us? as though we through our own righteousness have wrought this deed to this lame man. Peter, at that moment, was in one of the greatest jeopardies of his entire ministry. When the people were looking at him as though he were some holy, righteous kind of a creature. It would have been very easy with all of these people looking at Peter in awe and in wonder. Oh, Peter, you know, I touch you. For him to say, well, now, to have this kind of power in your life, it takes real sacrifice and dedication. <laughs> You've got to really commit yourself totally unto God. Few people are able to make the sacrifices that are necessary in order to handle this kind of power. And what is he doing? He's taking the attention and the glory away from God and putting it on to himself. Now, many ministers have been guilty of doing this because our flesh would like people to think that we are something special, 
that we are something that is holy, that we're a little bit above the normal in our dedication and consecration. And my old flesh, my old body is so sneaky that it would like to give off a little righteous aura around me so that people will think that I'm so very, very holy. But that's a constant danger to anyone who is ministering, to anyone who experiences the work of God in his life. Because people are prone to look at the instrument rather than at God the one who is using the instrument and begin to give glory and credit to the instrument rather than to God. And thus the instrument has to be very careful that it doesn't take glory, that it doesn't take credit. So Paul the apostle said, I keep my body under. I buffet myself and keep my body under. Under what? Under control, under the Spirit. Lest having preached to others, I myself should be put on the shelf. And so it is important that when God works in your life, you don't begin to get some kind of spiritual pride and spiritual righteousness saying, well, it's because I'm so sweet or I'm so holy or I'm so righteous or I'm so committed. God has done this for me. God said, hey, don't get that kind of a frame of mind. When you come into the land and you're possessing the land and you're dwelling there, then don't think, well, it's because we're so righteous, we're such a holy people, God gave us this land. That isn't the reason. Because we were more righteous than those that are there and so forth. God said, it isn't your holiness and it isn't because you are so righteous that I'm giving you the land. It's really because these people are so vile and so impure, I'm just driving them out. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God gives thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for you're a stiff-necked people. Sound like Romaine, doesn't it? <laughs> Our Moses. And then he reminds them of their stiff nakedness. How that they provoked God so many times when they just left Egypt. They, they weren't even out of the land of Egypt when they provoked God the first time. And now all the way through they were continually provoking God. And so he reminds them uh, of, the, of how he had to intercede more than once lest God would have wiped them out. And so he reminds them the, the burnings. Tabara, verse 22, the Masa and Kibroth Hatavah, the graze of lust, the place of temptation where God was provoked against them. And also at Kadesh Barnea. And he said, you have been a rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. From the beginning. Therefore, it isn't for your righteousness that the Lord is doing this, or the uprightness of your heart. But actually, God has given a promise unto your fathers, to Abraham and to Jacob, and God is just fulfilling his promise to your fathers, but you're a bunch of stiff-necked, rebellious people. In chapter 10, 
he continues, of their failures during the wilderness experiences. And he is reminding them of the failure at the time when God had given to him the, the law on the two tables of stone. And how that when he came down from the mountain, that the people had made this golden calf and were worshiping it. And how the tables of stone were broken. And so he was commanded by the Lord to take two more tables of stone. And for another 40 days and 40 nights in fasting without water or bread. There on the mount before God, and God wrote on the tables according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, verse 4, in the mount in the midst of the fire. And the Lord gave them unto me. And so how that the Lord led them. And then in verse 12, the question, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Turn with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Deuteronomy 9 through 10 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you and watch over you and keep you through the week. May you be strengthened by His Spirit in your inner man. And may you, through the understanding of the Spirit, begin to comprehend how much He really loves you. The full depth of God's love for you. May He watch over you, and may you find your strength and your help in Him. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. God is looking for someone that he can use to accomplish his purposes on this earth. The apostles were more than willing to be used by the Lord. So what was it that gave them the certain spiritual characteristics necessary to be used by God and to be a powerful, godly influence to change the world? Well, in a book entitled The Man God Uses, Pastor Chuck Smith brings the scriptures to life as he examines the book of Acts. 
He reveals the secret to the apostles' boldness, the five essential components of prayer, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever wanted to accomplish more for the kingdom of God and to be an instrument that he can use, then I encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Man God Uses. To order a copy of this book in print or download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call the word for today at 800-272-9673.